This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Hi listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to the 67th episode of the Practice of Learning Teams podcast show. On today's show, I'm joined by my fellow authors, Glynis McCarthy and Brent Robinson, where we discuss the new book, Do Safety Differently, from Todd Conklin and Sydney Decker. Chapter two of the book is titled, When the Work is Done, It's Not As You Imagine, Do a Learning Team. The authors say that learning teams are easy and don't overthink them. Let us now explore the topic with the authors of the book, The Practice of Learning Teams, The How-To Guide of Learning Teams. I agree. Don't overthink them. I think it's a great statement. And I think, you know, in the start of that chapter, they talk about um, work is imagined and work is done. And um, there's a big difference and you're trying to find the gap. And I think a learning team is a great way of finding the gap. You know, you're starting that conversation off and, you know, the regulator always tell us that we should be communicating and consulting with our workers. And I think a learning team is a great way to start that process off. Give it a go. Uh, so when we give something a go for the first time, is it normal for us to be slight, slightly apprehensive? Sure. So... Well, for me it is. When we hear the word give it a go... Does that help or hinder that apprehension? I think it it could hinder it, couldn't it? You know, I think there's two types of people. There's people that, are, that will give it a go and there's other people that want to think about it more deeply. And I think there's two types of people within those two types of people. Those people who should just give it a go because they've got the requisite um, skill set and those people who possibly shouldn't give it a go until they know what they're doing. Which I think is a, a very valid point, <laughs> and I think that's and that's why you know when we created the book that we gave some people or gave people a framework and then a way of understanding what the gap was for them, and you know I think that's that's one way of determining is that two times two is four, two plus two is four, so it's the same same really, isn't it? So to Glennis's point that there are a, there's a huge variety of, of people with a a range of different skills so you know I'm at the range would be fair to say you and I are at the bugger it let's give it a go spectrum right and there'll be other people that are more apprehensive about it and need to find out a bit more about it and understand how they're going to give it a go yeah look I mean at the end of the day um, there's, there's no doubt when I first tried these things there was this feeling of am I good enough to get the outcome that I want and what I learned from those experiences that natural fact it's the power of curiosity and so much of safety has been driven through sort of procedures and tools and a lot of time we don't really Uh, get to understand what is the purpose of those tools. We simply follow them. 
as as part of a process or part of a systematic component, which a learning team isn't. Yeah, it's really a framework, isn't it, for have for learning more and having a deeper conversation. And I think, Brent, it would be fair to say that in those early days um, that a lot of the learning teams that we did, although we had the inquiry down pat, so there was that genuine interest in a particular topic or, or, in a, or something that was going on, what we didn't necessarily have was much grace and finesse. And I think my only point to all of this would be definitely give it a go, but actually think about what is the role of the facilitator of that learning team. Because I think if you're successful or not successful, actually largely comes down to what are the skills that you're using in that facilitation role. You know, if you think about what a facilitator does, you know, it's about, you know, enabling and empowering people. Um, and so if you just go in with, I'll give it a go, or just go in with, just, I'm curious, actually things can completely get out of, out of control and it can become a talk fest. It can become, you know, a, a dumping ground for all sorts of things and not much, um, that you're trying to gain from that session can necessarily come to the fore or it takes it's much harder to do that yeah i agree i think the there's two things that when i started doing them that i found was that my internal critic would kick in quite strongly i go oh that was that that didn't work at all but you get then you get feedback saying oh that was really good we got to have a really cool conversation and i learned something new and I think you've got to you've got to parlay that to one side. The other thing that I got out of it was that oh, we've tried this before, or something like it before, and there was no outcome. So I think that as much as the learning team, the first stage of it, which is identifying the problem and spending some time having that break, that soak time, as Todd would call it, and then coming back and looking for a solution, that is equally important. And I think that's why separating the two and getting out of problem-solving mode straight away is so super important when when we do give these things a go. And that have been the two things that have really stuck in my mind as we've done them. And you know yourself that in order to do those, you know, with some grace and finesse, you as a facilitator need to know how to kind of expand and contract. You know, to you know, to do the timing, to know about people's different agendas that they might bring forward with them. You know, to kind of know the, the starting point and where you where you think you might be going so that actually don't race through various parts of that learning team. I think that there is a real skill that is required by the facilitator to do this well. I've, the other thing I've found with that, Linus, is that if I am part of the organisation or part of that department, I find it hard not to be biased. And so the ones I've found more successful are the ones that... I'm not in that necessarily in that department or in that organisation, and you can act as a as much easier to act as a facilitator because you've got no necessarily emotional attachment to it, and I think that's that's been quite important along the way as well. But I, you know, I, I really like the idea that you know with Todd and this new book is that he's just trying to get people over the line of of giving it a go, right? And we do need to hone our skills as facilitators, understand where we're starting from and understand how we're improving. And I think that's where, you know, I see a lot of stuff out in the market at the moment where people are providing training on how to run a learning team. And, you know, to me, it's not about training. It's about having somebody to speak to afterwards, whether it is a coach or a mentor and just talking through the things that in your mind worked and didn't work. You know, when you get to soak, 
and reflect on your practice how important that is to have that and then be able to you know i've been really lucky that i've been able to run it past you or brent and say well you know this worked and and this really didn't work in my mind and, and having that having that discussion and i think that's where people miss out and that just the training around learning teams um isn't necessarily the answer i think you got to understand where you're starting that journey and where you need to improve yeah, absolutely. I think that there's a, a place for some tools or some a framework. Um, you know, I think when you're starting out, it's really helpful if you have a framework that kind of, kind of walks you through a kind of a process or a you know a, an approach. Um, I think that that gives you a little bit of comfort at times. I think it helps to provide some sort of structure around you know, kind of what are you trying to achieve? I think that that can be really helpful. Um, I absolutely agree with you that if you're too internally gazed, you know, with the, with the situation, so often if you work for that particular, work with that team and you've been trying to nut out a problem, it's, it's human nature to kind of want to jump into solution mode. So again, I think that what's really helpful is rather than teaching this as a pure application, it's really providing some frameworks that you can use to support a really good facilitation. So we're really exploring that notion of scaffolding or bridging. So, so we all start off with um, our way of doing things, the things that have always worked for us in the past, those things that we have come to rely on. Because whether those things are good or bad, they've always got us through. So that's our current state of knowledge. And, and now, now we have this desired state, this thing called learning teams. And it's a bit fuzzy. Because you know it's not it's not cleanly laid out. It's not a linear process. It's not complete this step, do this step, do that step. It's 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 a little bit more organic by nature. So more of a framing type process. So it's natural that that's actually going to take time. And you know, part of the thing that I look at is that it's not about whether the learning was good or bad. It's not about the quality of learning, it's really understanding how did that learning take place. And looking at through the eyes of the people that participated in that learning team, looking at through the eyes of what the organisation gained from that learning team, and then I think there's that very deep reflective practice class that we talk about, which is basically, you know, the, 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 the facilitator themselves saying, okay, this is where I came from. This is where I've got to. And then getting someone external to help do that reflective practice with them. Because it's all those things that come together that help us to see that that bigger picture. Because, because at the end of the day, um, Glynis, from our previous conversations, um, like any form of good conversation, it should just have a natural flow. But that natural flow just does not start off. It has to be built up over time. Yeah, most definitely. Both from the facilitator's point of view and the participants. You know, I think that if you can if if you think that we're going to run the best learning teams with, you know, brand new uh, workers who have never been exposed to this before, you know, you often have to overcome language and literacy issues. Um, you know, with many of our diverse workforces. So they've also got to have an opportunity to see how this kind of works. Yeah, and it's, and it's I think it's exploring that. 
But ultimately, it's our ability to see that we are progressing over time. And I think sometimes we feel that we need to start with big things to try and better understand. But in actual fact, we can start with small things. Because to me, it's that frequency of doing that that helps us to hone our skills. Not so much the biggest problem we're trying to solve in the world. And I think we've said it before, um, you know, don't start doing a learning team for an event. Start using a learning team for some type of review of, of, of a current work practice. Start, yeah. you know, start doing a learning team based on some, some recent information that's come to you from, from workers. All those things are quite valuable because um, they, they, by their nature, are more visible things that we can actually then run a learning team around. Well, they're smaller. They're smaller targets, and you're going to get a you're going to get a quicker outcome that people feel really comfortable about because they've learned something, they've improved something. And I think you know, learning from everyday work, in my mind, has been the big change for me during 2021 and into this year. Is that there are opportunities in everyday work to say, hey, this is working here and not here. Let's have a look at what we can learn from this. What what can we learn about the differences? Or this isn't working the way we're expecting it to, and we're getting this type of feedback from our people at the pointy end of the business or the organization. And I think that's been a real eye-opener to me that you don't necessarily see those little everyday issues unless you've got a way of capturing that weak signal. But once you've got that weak signal and you understand it, then there's so much power in using a learning team to really learn about that weak signal and then put something into practice you know reflect on it and then build an outcome that's better and the both the teams improve but the organization hasn't had an improvement as well and that's so powerful and they can only be they can be quite small things can't they yeah look, and they don't have to be safety things either no they, they can be things like uh, I, I was looking at one recently um, you know uh, yeah, people working from home so, you know, security of data has become really important. So we just ran a little learning team on how do we know the data is secured? Not assuming it's secured. Yeah. So how, yep. how do we know when it's secured? Yep. Um, and even recently, some of the organizations that we've been doing uh, work for Glynis, um, you know, they were spammed and we were receiving, you know, their systems got compromised in that way so so at the end of the day for, for me learning learning can happen in lots of different ways if you want to give it a go my thing is start small and watch how people develop from that power of conversation look at how you self-develop but more importantly ask someone else how they have seen your development yep think of that that triangulation of those things. I, I think, you know, if we go back to that week signals, my favorite story of this month is uh, we were in a particular organization and they had a uh, young person in that organization who would end up throwing something two or three times a week through frustration with the system that they had. And it was a procurement purchasing system. 
and they go, oh, you know, it's, everybody else doesn't complain about it. And so they took that as a weak signal, got the young person and a couple of other people to use the same process and found that it was the most asinine, backwards, time-consuming, non-value-adding thing they'd ever come across. And it was just causing so much frustration in the business that people were looking for shortcuts to get around it to the point that they would actually purchase from outside the business because it was easier than purchasing from inside the business. Um, and so what the workers learned or what the supervisors learned and what the organization learned were quite different things. But by running a learning team and listening to that weak signal, that young person losing it every three couple of days when she was asked to do this particular process was just amazing. And, um, and they got an improvement. Yeah. You know. so, so to me, it sounds like he was struggling to cope. Yep. Safety one people would say the other group didn't care because it didn't report it. Yep. Okay. But I'd probably challenge them and say they probably, the system has forced them not to care because no one does anything if they ever report anything. Yeah. And, and that's actually one of the things they found that people have been complaining about it and given up complaining about it time fixed that problem from an organizational point of view but just disappeared it was a newer person that come on and go this is just a crazy crazy process you got here so you know and that's why i really like looking at those weak signals because there's always that underlying murmur in the business or in the organization that's pointing to stuff that is there to be fixed you know and i think that's one of the things i liked about what um todd's spoken about in that chapter is you know Look for some simple stuff to go and have a look at. It doesn't have to, don't start large, start small. Back to your point, Brent and Glynis, that just start with some stuff that you can improve on, make a change. It's um, two years since we um, were writing the book about the practice of learning teams. And if we reflect back about that two years, uh, how do you guys feel about your way of running learning teams? Is it different? from then until now. It's wildly different for me. It's, um, you know, we're looking at, we're not looking for those big things. I think that's number one for me. I, as I said, the, the weak signals has been really, really interesting way of looking at what's going on within an organization. It's not necessarily, it's certainly not obvious, um, but with, you know, with some of those tools that have been developed 4Ds and some of those things that we've been using to capture that, that's been really powerful in helping us identify stuff that we could never see the pattern beforehand. Um, but actually running the learning teams has been totally different as well. You know, I, I'm very much an advocate for being removed from that area that is looking at the, that might have the issue. Um, and I've worked on my facilitation and different skills and being able to park stuff. I think the hardest thing that starting off for me was not wanting to jump into solution mode. Right. I I think, wanting to go into expert mode. Yeah. And I, I think you've, you've really got to be conscious of that because I know that I do it and I've been a senior leader in a business or numerous businesses. And that's, you know, people come to you for an answer and you've got to step back from it. You know, and I worked with a guy who is my boss and he is very good at um, stepping back and then trying to understand what the problem really was. 
I think with all of these sorts of things, it's an application of a skill set, isn't it? Yes. So the more you do it, the more you hone that skill set, and the more versatile you can be with that with that skill set. So the more you can shift and morph it for for different contexts. Um, so I think that you know anybody that gives these a go, and I wholeheartedly, you know, encourage people to do this to be far more inquiring about how work is really being done. I think what you find over time is that you become more versatile. So there are less opportunities for it to, for you to come out thinking, yeah, I really could have done that better. Or, it, but now what you do is you come out and you're a bit more balanced with it. At least I am, you know, mm -hmm. a little bit more balanced in terms of, yeah, maybe I didn't handle that situation as well as I could have. But overall, this is where we've got to. I think for me, it's that whole thing that, and the work that we do, there's there continues to be an expert component in the work that we do. And then when we do that learning team, we then have to move in that facilitative component and that headspace, moving from that mental mental model of expert to facilitator um, is difficult. It's not that easy, which means that it's natural that we're going to fall back to it from time to time. But that doesn't make the learning team any worse off because as long as you can recognize that you've fallen into that model, then that's what you can learn from to actually move forward. I've actually called myself out as the facilitator going, look, I'm actually I'm trying to give you an answer here, so I'm gonna step back and start the conversation again. I'm okay with that. My internal cri critic isn't as critical as he used to be. That might just be because you're a little bit older. Oh, yes, and mature. Um, and did that internal critic also get Omicron just out of interest? Just yes, he, yes, he did. He did. Okay, so yeah. it's a he as well. Okay, just yeah. That, yeah. two things and we've a, answered today. And a couple more wrinkles, I suspect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a couple more. More grey hair, I think. From that's coffee. Very optimistic. I think that's optimistic <laughs> to say that. But nonetheless, let's move forward. So that was Glynis's learning today to be more optimistic. <laughs> um, can I just say the highlight of that chapter there is there's one little piece in there that just I just I really liked it and this is where they talked about that organizational culture is like owning a puppy success and constant effort filled with progress and setbacks and a mess on the floor do you know I think that you could apply that analogy to pretty much everything yep. um, but I really like it and I and I think that you know, this is something that, you know, we do need to think about, you know, what is, does our organizational culture set us up for success? You know, when we're doing learning teams, does that organizational culture allow for open and transparent conversations? Or is this something that, again, that, you know, we need to work on when we're delivering learning teams and be really mindful of setting up an environment where people can share their ideas, their thoughts, their opinions, and critically appraise and, and, and give constructive feedback you know, we're, you know, we're asking a lot of ourselves and of people when we're asking them to really delve a bit deeper into that problem identification. I think, um, you know, Brent and I were talking about a, a uh, client we were dealing with and they had a particular operation in one location and they had a lot of LTIs and when we asked the question, how many near misses do you have? They had virtually none. And so we said to them, well, maybe you need to go back to your workers. Oh, we talk to our workers all the time. We talk to them twice a month. <laughs> and 
I, I was looking at some of the stuff that was in this chapter and it's about having that conversation. I'm thinking to myself, I can just imagine that the senior managers come out twice a month, probably in the last week of the month before the reporting period ends, and then um, talk to the workers. And I can't imagine how the workers respond to that. And, you know, so I think in some organisations, it's not going to work as easily as it might in others as well. And I think you've got to be cognizant of that if you're going to run a learning team. Um, and you've got to help people understand what it's, what it's doing and, you know, and how it can actually improve the conversation. And we need to help both leaders and workers understand that. Because I think in those type of locations or in that type of business, we've got two different ways of looking at things that that's going to be hard to get the openness from the people at the sharp end and the people at the top are not necessarily going to listen to what's coming their way sometimes as well you know so one of the things we're trying to do to facilitate that is doing an anonymous survey where we ask them you know five short questions but of all the of all the things that I've worked with over the last 30 years of my career, the learning teams just makes a really nice way of finding things to improve and then improving them and coming out with a positive outcome and building trust within that group that you're working with. And that's what I really love about it. And I think a lot of it comes from, you know, Brent and I have spoken about this, about, you know, Deming, but and we talked about that in the book nearly, what, 18 months ago, Brent, we had a, a chapter on lean and and Deming in the A3. And I think what we're finding at the moment with the work that you guys are doing is that the A3 is a great output for both the team and the organization as a way of capturing the story. And it really is about a story at the end of the day, isn't it? Here's what we've identified. Here's the issue. We've had some soak time. We're now found, this is the solution that we've come up with. And sometimes it might not even be a solution. It might be just understanding there is a problem. Yeah, look, better understanding, but but yep. ultimately, there is there is that learning that occurs within that work team or that work group. But more importantly, and the reason why we've been exploring the A three, and there's going to be a separate podcast series and a whole raft of great things coming out about the A three as well. But more importantly, is how do we share that learnings across the organisation? Yep. Because repeatedly, I, I always say this. When I'm handed an investigation report, it is simply a set of corrective actions. It's an output. No learning comes from reading corrective actions. No. And I don't know how you guys feel, but I can't think of any senior leader that would sit down and read through 15 or 20 pages of the report to get the context of what then led to this corrective action. No, they won't. No. I mean, in the businesses I've been in, that your senior management team need the one pager that's telling them that we understand what the problem is, we've had some time to think about it, and these are the solutions. And quite often the solutions are quite simple and can be done um, within the organization without having to allocate resources, but the time that they do need allocation of extra resources, that's what they need to see. Uh, the, this week I got told from someone that we're simply trying to simplify the process. And I said, no, 
we're actually trying to make it more transparent. Yes. Because behind that single sheet of paper is a whole lot of information. Yeah. That single sheet is simply telling the story, the journey of the learning team. The fundamental difference between, and I'll, I'll, I won't use the name of the particular investigative tool, but a major investigative tool in the ANZ region and a learning team is that a learning team is a collective view of what happened and an investigation report is one person's interpretation of the interviews that have been conducted and it's a fundamental difference if you're looking at an event or an illness. Yeah, well, in reality, they are rewriting the story of the event in hindsight. Yes. To try to explain the actions of an individual. But that through a very singular lens. I agree with and, you, Brent Robinson, and, entirely. And they don't, it doesn't lead to any, any outcome, uh, any positive outcome in, in terms of, of, of the workers. Apart, I, I, apart from saying that we spent three days writing up this report and we created 30 corrective actions, there's a correlation between effort and the number of corrective actions. I'd like to see what an organisation felt that if someone spent three days writing up a 30-page report and there were no corrective actions, how that would go down. I'd like to see that too. That'd be fantastic. That would be fantastic. I just, I got sent a, um, a 2021 year in review of all um, level two accidents in an organization. There was 25 of them, I think. And when I had a quick look at it, you go through, you run some statistics on it because I was just reading a, uh, an old book by Deming talking about uh, metrics and getting rid of them and KPIs and getting rid of those too. I went into statistic mode and out of those, I think 25, um, 17 of them said that the job standard or work standard documents either hadn't been read or weren't followed or were wrong. And I just thought, wow, it's that simple, is it? It's a document. If we'd had a better document, we, would have, we wouldn't have had these issues. It, it blew me away. And then when you bring that back to them and, say, and, and give it to them in that context, it actually... Uh, Oh, no, that can't be right. No, I'm guessing it's not. And I think, they, you know, they had multiple opportunities there to use a learning team and get it from, you know, get a, you know, get a view from numerous workers that would have changed their view, you know. It might not have been what they wanted, but they would have, it would have been able to, it would have given them more context around what was going on. And I think this, this is a constant issue that we have, that as organisations try to standardise their system processes through the use of standards, for instance, yep. they compromise the local rationale. Yes. They compromise the experts on the ground. I, a I learning team is a great way of being able to show the local rationale and how that system could support that rationale to exist to allow people to be successful. Yep. If I saw a, if I saw a work standard or a standard work document or a procedure that said, "Here's our procedure," but by the way, 
there is some uncertainty and there is variability in the stuff you do every day. So this might not cover everything. I'd be much happier because that's the reality of what we're putting, making people do, right? There is variation every single day. And, you know, even in, even in quality, if you go back to quality, you had what you wanted, which was the standard, but you knew there was an upper control limit and a lower control limit. And so what quality people tried to do is narrow that the railway tracks on either side of the standard because they knew that things were going to move out. There's variation, right? You can't get rid of it. So, and I think in safety, we have this sort sometimes we have this view that there is only one way to do it. And that's work is imagined versus work is done. We don't take the time. Yeah, I mean, every system is brittle. Yep. In safety, we only see the brittleness of it when an event happens. If we, for instance, look at COVID as a great example, COVID showed that just in time was brittle. Yes, because it still is. Look at the car industry. In the car industry, you had two things happen simultaneous. You had the uh, people resource get disrupted with COVID, and you had a factory burn down that produces a whole lot of semiconductors. And the average car now has several hundred thousand semiconductors. Yep. Now, which car manufacturer was able to weather that storm? They've all had issues, haven't they? There was only one that was able to increase its output last year. Who was that, Brent? Oh, it begins with a T. <laughs> it with a T. It's and, either and that, Toyota or Tesla. Yeah, well, Toyota, their volume shrunk. But that's a classic example where just in time, which had all the reward element of it, all the reward element of efficiency, of you know managing costs, forecasting, all those things that was great. Low inventory, no warehousing, all the things you're looking for. Yet the threat component of it, which is what made that system brittle, was exactly what two things that came together. Yeah. So all systems are brittle. They have to be brittle. And and I think what a learning team can do is a learning team can allow that variability that workers are having to adapt to every day to be more visible by the organization, to make it more transparent. And then ask ourselves, does that make our system brittle? What can we do not to eliminate? Because I think brittleness has to exist, but I think it's a degree of it. Makes sense. So what can we do to reduce that level of brittleness? Which goes back to continuous improvement. Shock yep. horror. Yep. Shock horror. Nothing's changed. If nothing's, nothing's changed. changed. So wrapping up, guys. Um, I think, first of all, I, I, I like the book. I, I think, I mean, obviously there's, there's, there's been mixed views over the web about the book. But my, my view is, is that the book was not really written for early adopters. I think this book was really written for that mainstream market. And it was to really give that mainstream market a better introduction to this notion of doing safety differently. Yeah. <clears throat> I think this is the first time that we've seen the, you know, the 10 
the ten things to do. You know, schedule the meeting, find the gaps, break it into two meetings. You know, I, first time it's been more of a, a discussion around how to do it versus what to do. Yeah. So I think I think from that point of view, particularly chapter two, has been that's good. You know, I think in our book that we're showing people how to do it. And I think that's important, and that's the conversation we have is, oh, you know, how can I find out about how to do it more effectively or better, and how do I improve? And I think that's that's been really important. But I, you know, from that point of view, yeah, I think it, it adds to the adds to the discussion. Yeah, there have been mixed reviews, but you know, there'll always be mixed reviews about this stuff. Whether it's going to be a number one or a number ten seller, who cares? If you get something out of it, get something out of it. You know? Yeah, because I, I think once again, if you look at that mixed reviews. The, if there was a negative component from it, are probably from those people that are early adopters. Yeah. What you're not seeing is those people that have been introduced introduced to this concept for the first time and what they think about it. Yeah. And that's part of the challenge. Part of our commitment to the community going forward is is also if you think about it, uh, was it uh, this time last year we we launched the PDCA framework for learning teams. Yep. To help that um, that middle market, give them that. Do we call it comfort, Glennis? We just call it bridging or scaffolding yeah, to move think, them yeah, between these. It worlds. is about scaffolding, isn't it? Yeah. So, so using the PD, PDCA model, which which is something that they should be aware of and and used to. And then providing that as a framing around a learning team. And the next phase we're now moving to now is connecting those three dots. So this notion that we have these core principles of a learning team, those those five key principles of a learning team, these frameworks that, that exist to help us deliver on those core principles of learning team. And then below that framework are then the tools that help us to populate those frameworks. And I think that systemizing component of it can be very powerful where those tools can be swapped out as the maturity of the individual or as the maturity of the organization changes over time. Yep. Dumping in one thing and saying, here is the fix to me, is just the same thing as safety one. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I think to your point, and you've spoken about this a couple of times, is that if you think you're going to put in this whole new new view program from leadership down and let it filter down to the masses, post-pandemic, I think you're dreaming. I think what you've got to do is it's got to be more like guerrilla warfare where you're going to try some learning teams at the bottom and work your way up and say, hey, these are what we're doing. Hey, we've got this really cool A3. We want to share this around with the rest of the organization and see if they can learn something from it and have a go in their own department. I think that's going to be much more of a bottom up. Um, and I think that's where Todd's tried to get to with this is that he's saying, give it a go. You know, Don't worry about getting this top-down leadership 100% commitment. We'll all sign the bit of paper and we'll roll it out you know i think those big lean or new view programs and the organizations i'm talking to aren't happening at the moment you know they've got they've got other things that they're working on so excuse the pun we're trying to go viral we are trying to 
post-pandemic, we're going viral. Post-pandemic, we're going viral. I think no. we need to put a T-shirt out with that. Yeah. So any, so any any people that didn't like that comment can please send the emails to Glynis at. <laughs> I don't think so. Brent and Brent. At. <laughs> so wrapping up for you, Glynis. Look, I think it was a good read. Um, I think it, you know, gets you thinking. I think people should give this a go. I really like what you've just been talking about, that, you know, we should really try and encourage people to, to, to get in, have a go. Let's look at some frames that we can use that will really support this. Um, you know, whether we're talking about the PDCA model, the A3 template that we've been talking about. Um, I really like the discussion questions at the end of the chapter. You know, they really do help you to kind of go back and think about it. and. You know, at the end of the day, this is about having open dialogue. You know, so it's thinking about how do we do that with some grace and finesse. Thank you listeners for being part of this podcast. We would love to hear your learnings or other topics you would like us to explore about learning teams. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com and give us your feedback. Become part of the community of practice with learning teams. Go to www.learningteamscommunity.com. Support the authors of the practice of learning teams. Purchase the book from Amazon.com or go to www.learningteamsbook.com for an inside look and other free book resources from the authors. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.